Welcome to Into Theology. I'm joined with Ian Clary, and we're looking at Book Nine of Augustine's Confessions. This is kind of the end of like the how we think of a story ought to be. It's uh, he's baptized, his mother passes away, though she's able to see him as a baptized Christian. Her prayers and hopes and dreams for him are fulfilled, and then he really begins uh, almost like the, it's like the beginning of a new life for him, where all the exciting things that we know about Augustine finally begin to happen. And I know you had a, uh, you wanted to open by reading, I think the first chap, the first paragraph of chapter nine, right? Or book nine. Yeah, first, first two paragraphs of book nine, really, because he's, it, it really does set the stage for everything he's going to talk about now in this book. Um, so he's just, just had this like profound conversion experience in the garden in Milan. He's hanging sorry. out. With, like I'm reading, sorry, I have this mum mug, <laughs> which perfect. is like kind of perfect timing for this thing about Augustine's mum. Um, <laughs> I just noticed that in the camera as I was drinking. <laughs> Weird. That's hilarious. Anyway, sorry, go on. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, so he's had his conversion experience, obviously very monumenta, monument, monumental for him, momentous uh, for him. And uh, and so, you know, some some scholars have asked the question, like, why doesn't he just end confessions at the end of book eight? He's saved now. It's kind of like the climax. And, uh, and I think that what he's telling us here, a few things. One is that, as you alluded to, uh, conversion is not like the end of the story. It's actually kind of the beginning or the new beginning of it. And uh, and then like he's he's bringing closure to his mom's story that's kind of been peppered throughout. She sees him baptized and her grandson, she gets to see baptized too, yeah. Adiodatus, which is pretty cool. Um, are you frozen? No, I don't think so. Oh, back. back. Okay. Yeah. Was I, I still know. talking? Yeah, you were still talking. It was all the recording was fine on my end, so it must have been just some weird oh. glitch. Oh, it's like it says my internet connection is unstable. Anyway, so he's gone through all this, and uh, now he's telling us, you know, her story, uh, and then he's talking about baptism because baptism is like we forget that, like in the early church, like baptism and conversion are intimately tied to each other, right? And so it would be very weird for an early Christian reader uh to have his conversion experience and then no baptism and so baptism is going to be very important here all right so i'm going to read from uh, book nine i'll just read these opening two paragraphs uh oh lord i am your servant i am your servant and the son of your handmaid uh, you have torn away my bonds and i will offer you a sacrifice of praise let my heart and my tongue praise you and let all my bones declare lord who is like you let them declare it then answer me and say to my soul i am your salvation who am I and what kind of being am I? What was there that was not evil in my actions? Or if not my actions, then my words. Or if not my words, then my will. But you, Lord, are good and merciful. Your right hand encountered the depth of my death. It drained the pit of corruption from the ground of my heart. This was all there was to it, to stop wanting what I wanted and to start wanting what you wanted. But after such a span of years, where was my free will? And from what depth and from what place of utter secrecy was it called forth at that moment to enable me to submit my neck to your gentle yoke and my shoulders to your easy burden, O Christ Jesus, my help and my redeemer? How suddenly it became my delight to do without the delights of trivialities. Now it was my joy to repudiate what I had once feared to relinquish. For it was you who cast them away from me, and you are the greatest true delight. You cast them away, and in their place you entered sweeter than every sensual pleasure, but not to flesh and blood, more radiant than any light, but hidden deeper than any mystery, more sublime than any prestige, those who count themselves sublime. 
At last, my mind was free from the gnawing anxieties of ambition and acquisition and of scratching the itch of physical desire and wallowing in it. And I started to pour out my thoughts to you, my illumination, my riches and my salvation, O Lord, my God. So it's an interesting contrast, right, to everything he's been saying so far in the book that really culminates in book eight with his conversion. You know, he talks about being able to like put away those mere trivial, those delights of trivialities. And if you remember when he's in the garden, he's like, these things are gnawing at the, at the robe of my flesh. And he says, but they're mere trifles and I couldn't get past them. Now they're gone. Um, he's got all these ambitions. He's, you know, he finally, they're all met for him. He gets the teaching job he wants. He's in Rome and Milan. He's like addressing the emperor. And he's saying, basically, God, now you got rid of all these ambitions. I don't want them anymore. Um, you, I don't want to want what I want. I want to want what you want. So what he's trying to do is like orient his desires now in accordance with God's. And, uh, and he's basically kind of re showing like a reordered soul um, where, you know, he is, he's getting rid of those physical desires in order to orient himself towards the good, which is God. Mm. Um, and so it's like, what it, it's like, not only does this introdu introduce book nine so well for us, but it really, it's like, it marks the entire contrast now to everything that he'd been discussing in the first eight books. So it's pretty important. I think it's just, as a quick side note, interesting too, that the way he talks about freedom, the, the freedom of the will is different than we might. Because he's basically arguing he wasn't free. His, his free will was actually hidden. Yeah. Largely, I think the implication is because he was controlled by his lusts, self-indulgence, and all the things that he mentions. Yeah. Really only free when he can, as you noted, order his soul properly. So he's making just choices that are reasonable and good. But he's unfree, even though he can choose whatever he wants in terms of like contrary choice, he, he can't find his free will. Yeah, it's like his, it's like the classic distinction that he'll make, you know, with different types of free will where like in Adam, Adam and Eve in the garden have perfect free will. You know, they're morally upright. Nothing's compelling them one way or the other. Uh, then after the fall, they're able to still able to sin, but then able not, not able to, they're not able not to sin. And then you get converted and then you're back in this place where you can like choose to sin or choose not to. And then you go to glory where you can only do that, which is righteous even, but in all stages, you still have free will, but you're going to choose according to those desires. And if those desires aren't oriented towards the good, um, then you'll either always choose one thing or always choose another. So it's free yet bound. Um, now do it in Latin. <laughs> yeah, that whole passe picare kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, and I first heard it from R.C. Sproul, like, you know, 20 something years ago, and it still sits with you. And R.C. was a good teacher. Yeah, yeah. He really, like, you know, you might have disagreements or anything, but like, he's just a good teacher. Yeah, that was his genius for sure. Um, well, I just, one thing I'm just noticing now, and it's like, it's crazy. I mean, it's obvious in a sense, but like, this whole thing is the Psalms. Yeah, the Psalms are everywhere. And one of the things that Augustine believes, uh, I actually wrote an article for this for some counseling journal uh, okay. on the Psalms. It's like the Holy Spirit gave us the Psalms in order to sort of untwist what's twisted in her soul. Uh, and so he's actually, it's really interesting to me that his, he had an unfree will because he was, he submitted to lusts and desires and he gets freedom. And this freedom is then correlated with all these citations of the Psalms, which actually meant to reorder your soul. Yeah. That's kind of uh, the purpose the Holy Spirit gave them to us. We were talking before we recorded about uh, Jason Biassi's book, Praise Seeking Understanding, yeah. where it's through Augustine's view of the Psalms. And you just, you suddenly it hits you. It's like the Psalms are all pervasive uh, for Augustine. I think we noted it when we were in book one of like, yeah. oh, it's just full of Psalms. Uh, as, a, as a monk, right, he would be, he'd ordered his life according to the Psalter. 
Um, he would pray the Psalms day in, day out, preaching the Psalms regularly. Um, and so they're, they're not really a monk for a long time though, right? It's only for like a couple of years or something. Well, I mean, you could, you could say even as a, even as a, even as a pastor, he's a kind of like secular monk in a sense. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Probably quickly clarified this time. You could either be a a monk that goes to a desert or a monk that is like in a city and is around people. It wasn't like how we think of the stereotype today. They just go away to some monastery. So you could be in a city and be among like a hundred people who are part of your society yeah. it's basically like a seminary and you preach and you do church together and all that kind of well, stuff that's kind of what he does right like right after they go to after all this happens he goes to kasikiakum and it's kind of in a weird way setting up like a philosophical yet monastic community um and uh <clears throat> hold on here so i'm trying to think so so because there's the difference between uh the Cenobitic monks, mm-hmm. they're the ones who do it in community together. And then the Eremitic monks, which is already the word hermit, hermit, which is the ones that goes off out in the wilderness by himself. Yeah, they'd be so like Anthony of the uh, Desert, who's, who's already yeah, mentioned. Saint yeah, right. Basil Cesario would be like a, a city monk. Yeah. But he's really just a pastor that just likes theology. And yeah, <laughs> you know, he's just... funny. We talk about like ivory tower people or people who are like locked in their studies or at the library. That's basically what the monks, like these kind of monks, you know, yeah. they're like That's the, what... ner- like they're the, uh, the nerds. Yeah. Um, I want to read just a really cool sentence. Um, it doesn't have a lot, you know, it's not as connected maybe as, as you're reading, but it's a uh, chapter nine or book nine, chapter three, section three. Uh, no, section two, three, you mean? um yeah i do mean that you're right yeah Uh, so it says you pierced my heart with the arrow of your love and we carried your words transfixing my innermost being which is a psalm the examples given by your servants whom you had transformed from black to shining white and from death to life which we talked about last time yeah crowded in upon my thoughts they burnt away and destroyed my heavy sluggishness preventing me from being dragged down to low things they set me on fire with such force that every breath of opposition from any deceitful tongue, a psalm, had the power not to dampen my zeal, but to inflame it the more. Quick note, we need, you, you need Christian examples. Sometimes you make it sound like all you need to do is like just kind of read the Bible by yourself somewhere. And you don't need the community of Christians who are able to encourage you as the day draws near. But the Bible constantly tells you to look to leaders, to look at people's examples. The whole Old Testament is there for your example. We should moralize the Old Testament like crazy, I think. Yeah. All this weird stuff that can only be like Christocentric or no moralize like crazy is there. Yeah. It's also there for, for Christocentric. Um, but I for Augustine, it was so important to have these kind of you know, quote unquote heroes of the faith. Although right. he doesn't call them heroes, but they are that idea. It inflames them. You just you need those examples. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this is where too the imagery that you often see in you know uh, portraits of Augustine uh, is he's often got that flaming heart uh, in the image, and that's uh, and that that's that comes directly out of this passage, if I recall. Oh, does it? Yeah, where <laughs> well, he's chapter eight, like, he has something similar too. Yeah, it's like um, his heart is caught fire. Yeah. I literally just I opened and I think I just found it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> like it was like that. So it's chapter eight. Um, so book eight, chapter four, section nine. Just come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and sweetness. Yeah. Let us love. Let us return, and so on. Yeah. So this is like a felt faith. This yeah. isn't just propositional. It's not just like arguments or whatever truths. As important as obviously all that's going to be, 
but it actually does something like it inflames the heart right so he's he's like the puritans here in their experiential piety puritans are great in that area and, and for it. anyone who's tempted to have a propositional christianity i think you probably need to read the psalms yeah you know you need to you need to you yeah, need to be like daniel or david faith. and dance naked before the lord <laughs> yeah ain't gonna be me your wife might despise you but yeah totally you could have a lot of fun sorry um do you find it funny too speaking of wives like when he gets into Veracundus, his buddy and uh, they go off they want to start this monastic kind of philosophical community and uh and so in three five Veracundus is tormented with anxiety about this good that had befallen us for because of his own bonds which still tightly constrained him he could see that he was going to lose our friendship so like, oh, the bonds must be that he's not saved, and these are his bonds of sin. But his wife, uh, right? But he's like, he was not yet a Christian. For his wife, who was a believer, was herself the shackle. It's like, wait, so does the idea of the old ball and chain come out of Augustine's Confessions too? You know, uh, you know, That's tighter than the rest, which was holding him back from making the journey that he had begun. And so she's holding him back, but it's holding him back because he's this guy with property. And yeah, they want to go use it, and she won't let them. <laughs> he did not wish to be a Christian, except in the way which was not open to him, namely as an ascetic. Yeah. So. Funny. Yeah, eh? I mean, one of the things that's really nice about reading history is like you realize that your social norms are always they're not actually the universal norms. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there might be some things we could criticize Augustine or even Monica actually on, with reference to the. He does here, doesn't he? <laughs> well, because she treats earlier in the book uh, his um common law yeah, common partner law. yeah i can't i don't think she has a name no she um, she, uh, she gary wills calls her ina okay but she kind of forces this woman to leave augustine kind of forces them apart yeah. when probably now we'd say well, they probably should have married you know yeah. pretty a kid. crazy yeah um yeah so but this guy uh Veracundus, he eventually gets saved right like deathbed conversion he gets sick and while he was ill, right. he became a Christian and a believer. And he's so the one that owned the estate at Cassia Kiacum, where they yeah, could go. So, yeah, it says, your encouragement and consolation show it clearly. True to your promise, you reward Veracundus for that country retreat of his at Cassiciacum, <clears throat> where he found where we found rest from the turbulence of daily life founded in you. Uh, and so he eventually does... Um, they use that property for this little kind of community where he writes a number of like, there's dialogues. There's roughly it. four. Well, there's four books that I know of. Yeah. One of them's against the scholastics where he just rails against the medieval scholastics. No, like, no, it's not the scholastics. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. You got me. <laughs> the skeptics. <laughs> and, uh, on track. Right. <laughs> but then eventually he swims the Tiber. There was an anachronism there. <laughs> and when he swims the Tiber, he pays fealty to the Pope and all his cardinals he does and, swim the tiber though right yeah, like uh he goes back and forth across uh, the tiber he's like what is he a protestant okay, but, but against the skeptics would be against the the philosophical skeptics who don't you know don't yeah. believe much it's about certainty and truth i think he has one called because he himself becomes a skeptic right before yeah. he gets saved uh before he becomes a platonist he's a skeptic and so now he's repudiating right. them and they're the they're the academics academicos because that's kind of what happens to plato's academy near the end of it uh, he has one on the happy. I'm just looking at it up here on the happy life. So how to how to live? Like yeah. what's the goal of philosophy? That 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 one is that one is Monica, right? Like Monica is involved. Is, She's is definitely the in the conversation, and she surprises him because she says yeah. like smart things. He's like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, my mom's and, smart. Uh, I think he has one called the teacher, and that might be where he talks to his son. 
Yeah, Ariadatus, that's on the teacher. Yeah. And he actually mentions it near the in this in chapter. This, in this chapter in this book. Yeah. And Augustine's like, he legit is that smart. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, my son was a beast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like smarter than I ever was. I mean, I actually find that with my kids too. Part of it is the education they're getting is better than the one I had when I was a kid. But it's like, oh my goodness, my my kid can do algebra. <laughs> like I can't. He's yeah. like in grade eight, and he's doing algebra. I'm like, I and you could be more interested in educating them than than maybe your parents or whatever too. Like that can be part of it. And there's a yeah. fourth book, but I can't remember what it is. What? The, oh, the, the soliloquies. How do you say that word? Soliloquies. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I think I actually have that, but I don't remember. I think it's it's kind of the most famous one of the bunch, isn't it? But it's I don't. Yeah. Yeah, where he's talking to his own soul. Okay. Yeah. Through the these are essentially model though. All these are model after Platonic dialogues or well, philosophical dialogues in general. Yeah. I don't know about Platonic. Yeah. Yeah, but there, really. there's a group of people that get together and they have uh, a dialogue and they talk through things together. Yeah, but here he's, he says, it's like, we're specifically talking about you, Lord. Uh, he calls himself a catechumen. Remember, he had a problem with his mom before. He'd been a catechumen as a kid, but then they wouldn't like let him get baptized when he was like sick. And so here he's talking about himself again in, uh, in, number, in uh, number eight. Uh, he says, oh, and here's the Psalms. What cries I uttered to you, my God, while I was reading the Psalms of David? those songs full of faith sounds of devotion that shut up the proud spirit so i was clumsy about my love for you but sincere i was a catechumen in a country house on holiday with another catechumen olypius which is his friend and then this great line he has about his mom my mother was staying with us too a woman in appearance she had faith as strong as a man's <laughs> and an elderly person's composure a mother's love and a christian's devotion it's funny how like she has manly faith oh here comes here comes somebody more smart than smarter than you that's right. All right, Pop. Let, let Daddy do a podcast, okay? She's like, who's that weirdo you're talking to? She's hiding behind the chair, so I think we're okay. There you um, go. He's got yeah. the regret about the manichees, thinks they're ridiculous. I like how he calls about the sacraments. He says, for their ignorance of those sacraments, those therapies for sickness is what he refers to the sacraments as. Well, for him, a baptized Christian, especially, at least in this context, probably because he's thinking about baptism in context because he was he will be yeah. baptized here any second. It's hugely important for him. But he talks about baptism in ways that maybe would make us feel uncomfortable. Um, the holy water of baptism. Talks about baptism as being like reborn, um, regeneration by your baptism, all these kinds of words. Yeah. But one thing to note, like in the early church, especially, is that their language is a little less precise than some, not pre less precise, different than our, we're used to. Like regeneration for them is like how we think of like the whole spectrum of salvation. It's like all the things that happen in sanctification. Yeah. Or it's like the whole big picture. It's a part of it. Where a lot of times, at least in Baptist circles, we talk about. Uh, sorry, one sec. One second. No, I'm good. I'm good. It's all good, man. Um, just go do a workout. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> just going to go work out. But we, we talk about. Um, regeneration as something that precedes baptism because it's like a, yeah. a more or less a moment of a spiritual awakening where even even up until the recent period generations often been used as like the whole part of the christian life um like the regeneration of all things is something in the future in the book of acts for example so i just think um we you get you're more comfortable when you realize that the language that we use is not the same language that augustine uses i think like what was super helpful for me with like trying to wrestle through this because there are varying variations of like what we call baptismal regeneration today we have to be careful that we don't lump them all in together like for some people who say like baptism actually saves you in the sense that it's like the ground of your salvation it's it make it like you mean peter baptism yeah, like, well, then peter does talk about that right that, that's the that's the issue is like what does that mean 
And yeah. like, so David Wright, uh, David F. Wright's book, uh, Infant Baptism and Historical Perspective, he goes through all, he goes through Augustine's baptism and all that stuff. Super, super helpful. And he, he explains like, well, the idea of like baptismal regeneration, it's like Augustine gets saved in the garden of Milan. And, and he goes to great pains to explain that to us. Like he is saved in the garden of Milan, yet he's using the language of baptism as like regenerative only in the sense that the two events are intimately tied. The one precedes the other, obviously. The garden precedes the baptism, so is saved. But the, the act of like reception of the benefits of salvation that come from the spirit in, the, in a tangible way come through baptism. So baptism is like the way that you, you can apply that salvation to yourself. Now, like, obviously, the thief on the cross can't do that, doesn't negate the fact that he's saved. So it's not like baptism is the grounds of one's salvation. But it's so intimately tied that that's how these thinkers, that's why Augustine's like, I was forgiven in baptism, even though mm-hmm. he's forgiven in the garden, you know? Um, so, and, and there, I think there is actually something to that. As long as we're very careful not to make baptism into a work, it's like, it's not just right. some per- perfunctory act, like something actually happens. No, I think, I mean, if Augustine will explain this in his book. Um, I think it's called On Christian Doctrine. On Christian Teacher and Doctrine probably depends on the translation. Yeah. He makes the whole point that there are, uh, there's sign and things signified right and that the sacrament is <laughs> basically in the sacrament there's a sign that's attached to the word yeah and it's not an empty sign it's not an empty sign like, it actually you actually undergo the right you it's, it's like you're appropriating the thing. right yeah so i think there's there's a bit more to it i think sometimes you can read these and just like, like over theologize or wrongly theologize what's happening with them so i think that's important um what do you think what do you think of him uh getting a like getting saved and then quitting his job in like 20 days he so this is really interesting he has this, he has this whole thing where he has to defend himself because <laughs> he, he he finally gets saved or i think he's referring probably back to the garden experience yeah. but he's going on a vacation in 20 days and part of the vacation involves uh, he his lungs are damaged or his, or his voice one of the i think it's maybe both yeah from and so there's a real reason he needs to go on vacation so it's not vacation in the modern sense but like uh he's going away for a while yeah so there's a convenient time for him to kind of do that. But I don't think he wanted to quit right before because it would. Um, it looks bad. It would look bad. It would be bad form. There's, Everybody there's that, and he, he kind of wants to be private about his conversion, right? It's like, yeah. there's this monumentous event, but he doesn't want to go blabbing it, um, which is something that I kind of appreciate. I think it's an interesting, you know, even just now, it's like we've just everybody's talking now about Shia, however you say his name, Shia LaBeouf. Or, oh, he's Catholic or, or something yeah. yeah so he's become a roman catholic right and everybody's like debating the nature of this you know religious change that he's gone through and you know he was such a horrible human being back in the day and now he's better whatever but like you know celebrity conversions are kind of a, an interesting topic like <clears throat> kanye uh, like this new uh, dj khaled uh album that just dropped it's got eminem rapping about like a Christian like, lyric writer, someone Christian lyrics that. from Eminem. Uh-huh. It's like talking positively about the Bible and Jesus, even though he calls Jesus Jesus. But like, it's like, what the heck is going on here? You know? And so like Augustine's an interesting kind of like test case for con- celebrity conversion. His response is I'm going to go off for a while. I'm not, I'm not making a, a big deal. He, he could really make hay over, Hey, look at me. I I've lectured to the emperor. I'm this great rhetorician. Right. And now I'm a Christian. Well, and he won poetry like, competitions at the Garland, all that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. And it's like, he goes off to this community. And then his next thing to do is to go back to Africa, back home. 
you know, this like this whole conversion's thrown his whole life for a loop. His ambitions are gone. Well, it's a true conversion, kind of right? It changes yeah. his life goals and everything because he's no longer pursuing the you know pleasure and and advancement and, and career in the same way. Yeah. But it's interesting. He 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 needs he finds a genuine excuse. He says. Um, but he wanted, I mean, they had parents paying him to educate their kids. So there's, there's a lot of money and, and expectation and you've already agreed to do something. So he says, look, I just, I did, I spent these 20 days finishing what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's useful just to remember. Um, so let's talk about some, Monica. We should talk, yeah, about, talk Monica. about Monica so, for the last few minutes here. Yeah. So obviously Adiodatus dies and he's pretty devastated by it. This is his son who has like, you know, it's almost you can see like his own mother's ambitions for him. Now he maybe has for his own son. And then uh, very sadly, his son dies. Thankfully, he's undergone the rite of baptism. So he dies as a Christian, um, which brings him some comfort. Um, but then like, and, and he talks about the power of hymns, which is amazing. Both uh, here, he has like a whole discussion of like, you know, these new hymns that are being sung in the context of persecution. You know, Ambrose is writing these hymns to like bring real solace and comfort. Uh, in the midst of, of of all that, and then he has this long, extended discussion about like his mom. They they're on their way back to Africa. They stop in Ostia, um, which has connections to Virgil and the Aeneid, which is huge for Augustine. Um, and then uh, and that's where she dies. Like on the way home, she dies, and he's devastated by it. And yet he's trying to like maintain his composure throughout the whole thing. And yet he go then he goes to this in, kind of like extended like it's like recollection, almost nostalgia for his mom. And yet she doesn't always come out like the greatest in it either. <laughs> it's funny, you know, like what a weird way to remember your mom, like talking about how she started drinking when she was a kid. <laughs> Her servant confronted her because she drank too much from the legal, right? That's the story. Yeah. Uh, why don't we we have to finish why don't you finish on that kind of ex, that mutual like she's dying in ostia and they have this conversation they're thinking yeah. about what life after death will be like it's kind of one of the cool scene that is maybe like kind of special in a sense that a son and a mother could share this experience yeah on, um, really? uh, i guess chapter 10 sections 23 24 that area yeah 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 where they have like this very famous vision so like they're in ostia uh, he says, we were far away from the crowds, recovering from the stress of the long journey, making ready for the onward voyage back to Africa. We were conversing with pleasure, just the two of us, forgetting the past, but rather reaching out what is to what is to come. In the presence of the truth, which is who you really are, we were exploring the question of what the eternal life of the saints would be like, which eye has not seen uh, nor ear heard has it entered into the human heart. We open wide the mouth of our heart to drink deeply of the heavenly waters of your pure, pure spring the well of life which abides with you. Then we were sprinkled to the limit of our poor ability and thus began to reflect widely on this great matter. So like from what I understand in the ancient world, you had to be like a kind of philosophical mystic to have this sort of vision or mystical experience. And so in a way, he's kind of establishing himself as like a kind of true mystical philosopher for himself having this vision. But then here you have his uneducated, I mean, she's proven herself to be a bit philosophical in the Cassiacum community in the dialogue so she's got it and then she's a woman and bang they have this and it's a shared religious experience um which is really interesting and it's not it's not like some nebulous union with the one as in neoplatonism but it's actually like they're engaging with the truth himself which he says is you god like christ you know um so very powerful and then like his whole discussion of his lament for his mom's death you know it's it's for me, it's like my mom, you know, I was home in Canada for two months in the summer. My mom's 
very you know, struggling with dementia. And now I'm starting to think of my mom, end of life care. And uh, my mom's, you know, solid Christian woman. And it's just been sad. And so I could kind of identify a little bit here with Augustine as he was like, he's talking about trying not to mourn his mom's loss. He's so human here, right? He's trying right. to be a philosopher and have his mind control his desires and affections. And yet he can't not cry for his mom, which I think is totally appropriate. It was a kind, of Christian, says, like, it's a kind of Christian tradition where you shouldn't lament right. the death of the Christian. He even you know? says, like, people were like, why don't you have any emotion? But he, then he explains, he's actually trying to hold back the torrent of sadness. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it, he, she, he was, she was 56, he was 33. Interesting year, you know, um, for himself at 33. Um, so it's a Jesus year. type year. When Christ, Christ is to have died on the cross at age 33 um his son is there so like uh she so it's awesome for monica she gets to witness the baptism of her son and her grandson uh he's he's a young boy he's crying you know augustine's trying to like be more mature but has a hard time with it again the psalms cry uh, come up again as they use the psalms to comfort themselves chant a psalm yeah yeah the only thing she wants for her memory is that like he remembers her at the altar of the sacrament um, because that's where she basically lived is what he's saying here. She's there all the time. Um, he quotes Ambrose's hymn, which is another comfort for him as well. Uh, and then, um, where is it here? Uh, where he talks, right? He, this is the one place right at the very end in section 37, the very last paragraph, uh, where he says, you know, inspire, oh, my Lord, my God, your servants, my brothers and your sons who are my masters. For I serve them with my heart and voice and writings, inspire them whoever, whenever they read my confessions to remember at your altar, your servant, Monica, and her sometime husband, Patricius, uh, though they're uh, through their flesh, you brought me into this life. How I do not know. Let them also remember with dutiful love those who in this transitory light were my parents, but who before you as father and in our mother, the church were my brothers and my fellow citizens in the everlasting Jerusalem for which your people on their earthly uh, pilgrimage are sighing from the moment of their departure until they return. So may her last request to me be fulfilled for her more abundantly through many people's prayers, prompted by my confessions and by my prayers alone. So she's asked to be remembered at the, act, at the sacrament, uh, altar of the sacrament. And he's asking us to do that. Like, please remember my mother. And what a cool way to end the book. You know, and it's the only place where he actually names her is right here. Um, he never refers to her directly by by her name, and then That's he calls cool. her his sister. She's his mother, but within the, this family where you've got God the Father and the mother of the church, now Patricius and Monica are his siblings. So cool. Mm. Mm. Well, we got it's interesting. There's four books left, and this is the end of like the, the the normal sense of the story, but it's really the beginning of his life. His mother give him natural birth and now he has new birth and she sees him off through this new birth into his, you know, the, the career that we know of him, right. He yeah. becomes a, a well-known pastor writer. I think he's probably the most well-known theologian of all time. That's probably true. I don't. After Paul, for sure. Well, it's okay. Aquinas. Yeah. It's him and Aquinas, but Aquinas has like Aquinas has his dominance within like the Roman church, church. life. Yeah. Um, whereas Augustine transcends all that. Like you think of like, Derrida is very, you know, interested in, in, uh, in Augustine, like non-Christians, Albert Camus. You even got like uh, the French actor, Gerard Depardieu, who was like a total profligate. Like the guy actually did a reading tour, would just go around and just read confessions out loud. And people well, would come he's, also, he's a brilliant writer, thinker. You can Psychologist. feel his feelings 
Aquinas is brilliant, but you don't. Yeah. Not like this. It's yeah. different. Yeah. Augustine's moves is huge. I like, you know, how you made that connection too, like with Monica bringing him into the world and stuff. Like what he says here too, like in a way, almost like justifying his tears for her death. It's like she wept over me in my death until I became alive. And now he, and that's his spiritual death. Now he's weeping for her and her physical death, even though she's alive and the rest will be alive in resurrection. So cool connections there. I think he actually ties her tears to like the font of baptism or something. So. Interesting. Well, I'm excited. The next four books I'm actually weirdly excited for because I've never, I've read through them, but it'd be fun to like, just kind of pause for a minute yeah. and think about what we'll he's my buddy Caleb saying. to help us think through it too. Yeah. We'll have to like pull, we'll pull some experts in to figure out our memory. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see you next time. Cheers.